before we come today to the Lord's table, I want to refresh your relationship and the knowledge of that relationship that you have as a saved person with Jesus. And not only that we look at it corporately as the church, but that you look at your relationship with Jesus personally, that there is an understanding of how Jesus looks at you and what he thinks of you. On Wednesday night, we dove into Romans 2. We looked at some of the language that's there. We've talked about this a few times, but the first few chapters of Romans, uh, it gets very, very dicey. We'll just put it that way. It's full of condemnation. And the Apostle Paul leaves no one out. The Jew is discussed. The Gentile, the pagan is there. And so much condemnation and correction is there pointing to so much truth. And Wednesday night, we looked at God the judge and who he is as our judge. That this judge makes no judgment that's wrong. That he is a perfect judge, a righteous judge. And that every judgment he makes, he makes it perfectly. There is nothing but truth according to the truth, the Bible says. But today, as we approach the Lord's table, I want us to remember the death, the crucifixion, the burial, the time in the garden of Gethsemane that Jesus spent. Uh, but I also want us to look at this relationship very specifically to Jesus. And I want us to look at Jesus as the bridegroom. And then I want us to look at the beauty of the bride. The beauty of the bride. Let's pray. Ask the Lord to be with our scripture reading. Let's ask him to bless our time together at the Lord's table and that he would inspect every heart that's here. You pray that with me. Heavenly Father, God, we come back into your presence and Lord, we thank you for who you are and for what you are. God, that we've already felt your presence here this morning. Lord, it has been refreshing already to be on this campus. It has been wonderful to hear the music sung, the word of God preached, the encouragement of the saints. Lord, I thank you for our time together. Now, Lord, I pray that you would bind distraction. God, that you would take our hearts and our minds and that you would focus us on what really matters. Lord, I pray that there would be no distraction for any man or woman in this building. Lord, I pray for those who are worshiping online today who would choose to be in the building but are unable to. I pray that you'd bless them today, encourage them. Lord, I thank you for our time. Hide me, your servant, behind the cross. Lord, that no man would see me, but Lord, we'd see your word and what you have for us. In Jesus' name, the church said together, amen. Isaiah 54 verse 5 gives you a little glimpse into the relationship that God had with Israel. This verse reads this. Notice the capitalization of this verse in scripture. For thy maker, capitalized, is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And thy Redeemer, the Holy One, there it is again, capitalized, of Israel. The God of the whole earth shall he be called. Let's read that verse again. For thy maker is thine husband. Say this verse with me now. For thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. The God of the whole earth shall he be called. What's happening here, this is the basis for forgetting past failures, for moving on with life. And this is Israel's relationship to the Lord 
as her husband and as her redeemer. Now, we the church in this dispensation, we're under grace. Our relationship with God not only solidifies Jesus as our redeemer, but it also solidifies Jesus as our king. It solidifies the relationship of the church, those that are in the faith, with Jesus as our king. Jesus is king of kings. Jesus is Lord of lords. But this king is not just a king. This king, our king, is a betrothed king. He's an engaged king. And soon he will be a married king. His betrothed bride is the people of God, the people who have put their faith and trust in him, the elect from every race, from every nation, the church, those that are safe. If you're here today and you're blood-bought, born again, on your way to heaven, you're saved, 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 and you know it, and you're not ashamed, say amen. 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 You are the bride of Christ. Say it with me. I am the bride of Christ. One more time. I am the bride of Christ, the church is the bride of Christ. And this king, this betrothed king, who loves his bride, he came the first time over 2,000 years ago and he died for this bride. He paid the dowry, if you will, in his own blood. This bride is precious to him. This bride is everything to him. He loves the bride. He lavishes the bride in love and in grace and in mercy. And the good news is the bridegroom, Jesus, has already promised that he would once again return to collect that bride and to take that bride to live with him for all of eternity. Everybody that's saved can say amen right there, that Jesus is coming again for his bride. He will not leave this bride in that foreign land forever. There is coming a day, there is coming an hour, the second coming of Christ will happen and the bridegroom will come for his bride. That day is coming. I want you to know that because he's left does not mean he's forgotten. Jesus still knows where you are. He still knows every hair on your head. He knows the pain of your life, the hurt, the disappointment. He knows you better than you know yourself. And there's something that you can know absolutely without a shadow of a doubt today is that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Say this with me. Jesus loves me. Say it. Jesus loves me. Again, Jesus loves me. If we can ever get a hold of the fact that Jesus truly loves us, it will change our lives forever. Jesus loves you. And if in 144 hours, less than 144 hours, God created creation, God cast off the stars and the moon and the sun, 144 hours of creation, God spent making this beautiful earth and everything that we see around it. And if he's been gone now, preparing the place as he promised, and he's been gone for over 2,000 years and is continually preparing that place, if God did all of this in 144 hours, then imagine what God can do with 17.52 million hours. And then you'll begin to understand the glory and the splendor of this prepared place that the bridegroom is preparing to bring his bride to. 
Are you with me this morning? Are you thankful that you're a part of the family of God and that you get to be the bride of Christ? And he's prepared this place, this day of reunification. It's already captured for us. We can see what John saw, Revelation 19. Go to the seventh verse. It'll be on your screen. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is come. Here's the wedding. And his wife hath made herself ready and to her was granted a gift that she should be arrayed in fine linen clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints and he saith unto me write blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the lamb and he said unto me these are the true sayings of God the bridegroom is coming back for the bride but even further the Bible gives husbands a very specific charge if you're a husband here today or you're watching online, raise your hand. All the husbands, every husband, whether you want to be or not, raise your hand. All the husbands, put them high, boys. Come on now, unless you got rotator cuff surgery coming up, put them hands up. All right, all the husbands, here you go. Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, everybody that just raised their hand, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for Ephesians 5 27 that he might present it to himself a glorious church notice these words not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish how could this be if we're the church, if we're the bride of Christ, if this is what Jesus is expecting to present to himself as his bride, and clearly it says here as a glorious church, without spot, without wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy. When I first read this, when I take this in, and I put myself in the category as part of the church, when I put myself into that level of expectation, that it would be spotless, without wrinkle, no infraction, no blemish. I have a hard time looking in the mirror and finding that spotless, blemishless church. As good as the people are here and as wonderful as this church family really is, full of love and joy and compassion. Church, let's all be honest and admit right now that we are not a perfect church. Have you met the pastor? Everybody say amen. And if you find a perfect church and you join it, then no longer will it be a perfect church. But where do we find this spotless bride? Where do we find a church that is perfect, has no blemish? How could this be? Where do these people exist? And I think about myself again, and I'm a pastor. I'm a member of this church. I'm saved. I'm born again. I'm part of that church, the remnant but how could I ever say that I am without spot? That I am without blemish? What about all of the scars from my sin? What about all the blemishes of my failures? What about the big file folder that I keep in my mind cataloged daily that the old accuser uses to bring up each day? But do you remember what you did here? Do you remember what you said there? Do you remember where you were this night? 
This file folder full of failures that seem to go on and on and on. Where then will this perfect bride come from? This wrinkleless, blemishless bride. The truth is, if you're here today and you're not in the faith, if you're lost and undone without Jesus, then you are here with spot. You are here with blemish. The Bible says that every one of us, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have been born with a sinful nature. And that sinful nature must be corrected because God cannot allow that sin, he cannot allow that sinful nature left unforgiven to come into his kingdom. That is the chasm between man and God. And something has to happen for that chasm to be closed. If you're here today and you are saved and you're born again and you have that confidence that God's given you, if you're here today and you're in the faith, then you are here today as the spotless bride, the blemishless bride. Not because of anything you've done in your power, not because of anything I can see in the mirror that comes from me in the morning when I look into the mirror, rather because of my salvation, my head-on collision with God, my regeneration. When Jesus looks at me, he does not see my past. The Bible's clear that he has chosen not to remember it, not to hold it against me. And when Jesus looks at his bride, all he sees is the beauty of the bride. Song of Solomon, chapter four. Take your Bible and turn there. Song of Solomon, chapter four. There's a parable here of divine love that points to the love that Jesus has for his bridegroom. This is not a perfect typology, but this is rather a parable that points to the love of the bridegroom for the bride. This Song of Solomon describes the love that he has for a woman, particularly as a Shulamite country maiden. It's a beautiful lady. And this beautiful country maiden has captivated the heart of this man. He so is in love with her. And this entire portion of scripture, what we're reading here, is the bridegroom singing the praises of the bride. He's describing a pure love. And it's a love that's beyond the physical. Rather, it's a love that's unquenchable. It's a passionate love. It's a real love. And it highlights the sacredness of love and it highlights the sacredness of the union, the marriage where the two become one. Let's begin here in verse one. I want to read the first part of this verse. Song of Solomon 4, verse 1. Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. The word here, fair, in Hebrew is yafe. Say it with me now. Yafe. One more time, even for those from Leicester. Yafe. It's not Yafe. Yafe. It means beautiful. It means comely. It means precious. It's one of the most kind adjectives that can be given. And you must understand, you must take with you, you must hide in your heart the fact that the bridegroom loves the bride. He loves 
her. And he calls her fair, Yafei. He calls her beautiful. And church, there's something you cannot forget as it pertains to the love of Christ for you is that Jesus loves you far beyond any other love that you've ever known. That moment your child is born and you look down and you see this beautiful baby that God's given you and you think in that moment there is nothing I could love more than this beautiful child who's screaming, whose legs are flailing everywhere. There's no way I could love anything more than I love this child in this moment. The moment that your beautiful bride in her white gown comes down the aisle and for the first moment you meet eyes and you're just a few seconds away from what is one of the best days of your life. And in that moment that bride crosses the threshold and you think to yourself there's no way I could love anything more than I love her right now in this minute. At your 50th wedding anniversary when you look at your partner in life, your husband your wife, and there's five decades of children, hard days, good days, bad days, sad days, but there's a love and a connection that's deeper than anything you know on this earth. Even that love of 50 plus years cannot begin to touch the surface of the love that Jesus has for his bride. It doesn't even begin to describe the love of the bridegroom. He cares for his bridegroom. It's one of the greatest things that any man or woman could ever claim is that Jesus loves me. It should shape our identity as people. It should lead us and guide us as parents, as friends, as members of the community, as members of the church. I operate my life in a way that shows, in a way that displays that Jesus loves even me. He says, you are beautiful. Behold, thou art Yafei, my love. And he repeats himself, behold, thou art Yafei. Go to verse number seven as he continues. He says it again. Thou art Yafei, thou art fair, my love. But he adds more here. He says, thou art all fair, my love. And there it is. There is no spot in thee. You're altogether beautiful, my love my bride. There is no spot. I see no imperfections, my darling. There's nothing but beauty, not even one spot. And this is what takes hold. This is what happens at the moment of your salvation, your regeneration, that moment that your eyes are open and you come in faith believing to Christ. The old, dead, callous, cold, wicked man who can feel no real love Life is breathed into him and a new heart and new spirit is given. And at that very moment, you become part of the bride of Christ. And he looks upon you and says, how beautiful, how altogether lovely you are, my darling. Not even one spot. You say, you don't know how much I've done. You don't know all of the problems I've caused, all the sins that I have committed. You don't know the grace and the mercy and the depth to which God will go to reach down into the mire, to reach down to the lowest point on earth and bring someone who was dead up out of that mire, up out of that situation, 
clean that person off and look at that person as a beautiful bride and say, I love you. You're altogether lovely, my darling. And only Jesus can do this. And when he looks at his bride, he does not see transgression. He does not see failure. He does not see your worst mistakes and your past fears. All he sees is the beautiful bride. The bride for which he died. Go to verse 8. Look what he says to her. The bridegroom says to the bride, he says, come with me from Lebanon, my spouse, with me from Lebanon. Look from the top of Amana, from the top of Shinir and Hermon, from the lion's dens, from the mountains of the leopards. This is the call of the bridegroom beckoning the bride to come from the places that she used to inhabit, to come out of the places where she used to live, to come off of the mountaintops that she used to experience. You see, the world has mountaintop experiences that are rooted in human emotion and human experience. But the bridegroom is saying, come off the top of Hermon and follow me and pursue me. Come after me with everything you have. I will lead us on a journey. This is the beckoning call of Christ to the church. Follow me. Pursue me. Come after me. Don't worry about these other places that you used to go. Forsake those old places and come after me. And when the bride decides then and there that she's going to leave Hermon, that she's going to leave the mountain of the leopards, and she's going to leave those places, the lion's dens, and follow after the bridegroom, do you know what follows the bride as she follows the bridegroom? Well, look right behind her. There they are, coming down the mountain, coming off of Hermon, going towards the bridegroom. There's the bride. She's following him. And right behind her, there's grace and there's mercy. And now the bride is following the bridegroom and look chasing after the bride. Grace and mercy that follows that bride all the days of her life as she pursues, as she goes after the bridegroom. This is the call of God to his church. This is the call of Christ to his bride. Come after me, pursue me. I want to be with you, he says. Go to verse number nine. It says, thou hast ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. Thou hast ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. You see, the devil will always be the voice telling you not to pursue the bridegroom. Jesus, his call is to follow me, come with me. The devil will always say things like this. You'll never be good enough to enjoy the presence of the bridegroom. You'll never be good enough to really understand full fellowship with Jesus because of your wicked past, because of your sins and your infractions and all that you were for all of those years. You might as well stay up here on top of Hermon and stay perched and just watch others go after your bridegroom. Satan will always tell you to stay put when Christ is calling you to come. But what this is, this union that the bridegroom desires is not some quick happenstance. It's not some shotgun wedding. It's not a, a, a chapel in Pigeon Forge. Not that there's anything in this world wrong with that. But this is nothing quick. This is nothing fast. 
This is a relationship that lasts for all time and all eternity. He says, thou hast ravished my heart. And look at the words here. My sister, my spouse. This term that he uses here, my sister, my spouse. To us, it may seem silly. It may seem uh, like it doesn't fit. But this is a very ancient term of endearment. And it can only be used by a husband. This word, my sister, my spouse, the bridegroom can't say this to his mother. The bridegroom can't say this to another female family member. My sister, my spouse, that phrase together is reserved for one person. It's the person that he's betrothed to, his bride. And this term of endearment not only indicates their deep closeness, but listen to this. This term represents an unbreakable and permanent relationship. Did anybody else hear what I just said? My sister, my spouse, an unbreakable, permanent relationship. And the moment God saved you, the moment you were saved for all time and eternity, there was a permanent, a permanent fixture made. A relationship that cannot be broken. Anyone that tells you that you can lose your salvation Anyone that tells you that you can step away from the faith and lose what God's given you. If you lose it, you never had it. It's permanent. It's a DNA change. It's unbreakable. He says, thou hast ravished my heart. My heart rate is increased. He says it again. Thou hast ravished my heart with one look of thine eyes. That one little glance, that one little moment where our eyes meet and we make eye contact. I remember the first time I saw my wife, Miranda. I was walking out of store 62, Ingalls on Leicester Highway, 575 New Leicester Highway on a Friday night. The next morning I was supposed to be on the ambulance for 24 hours in the metropolis of Sandy Mush. Massive city. And the old way of doing things at the firehouse, any firemen, paramedics, police officers here, raise your hand. There's a few of us. Praise the Lord. Yeah, I see Jarrett back there. They know what I'm talking about. Saturday morning at the firehouse means breakfast. And I'm not talking about heart-healthy Cheerios and oat milk. That's the norm. But every once in a while, when your schedule fell just right and Saturday morning was for you, it meant that country breakfast was on the way. I'm talking about biscuits. I'm talking about fried eggs, sunny side up. I'm talking about thinly sliced, deep fried liver mush, bacon, niece's sausage, gravy. Anybody hearing what I'm saying? Cold, cold cow's milk. No almond milk. I, don't, I still don't understand that process. I like it. Don't get me wrong. But I'm talking about cold 2% milk, purple bottle, all of it gone. And I had to go get those items for this breakfast. And I'm, I'm, I'm coming out of Ingalls and I've got my breakfast in hand. I've paid. And I've got a couple of friends with me. And I'm walking out where the old pharmacy side and the old video store place was. And I'm walking out. And as I walk out, there is this beautiful blonde bombshell in a gold sparkly shirt. Never forget it as long as I live. 
and I made eye contact with her. Oh, boom, I was done. I bet my heart rate was 260. And at that moment, I just kind of froze. I went, and she says, hey, how are you? Good to see you. She says, hey, to the other friends. And then she looks at me and she goes, hey, how are you? And I go, (laughs) not a word. I didn't even get a grunt out. And she even says that afterwards, she's like, I wonder what's wrong with him. He didn't even say hey to me. What have I done to him? But the point is this. That very moment that my eyes met those beautiful blue eyes, that very moment that my heart was captivated, my heart raced, I had to take a deep breath. Then on our wedding day, all that came to fruition and I saw this beautiful bride walking towards me and my heart started going. And my heart was ravished. It made my heart rate increase. It excited me. The thought, the prospect of spending time with her. Just the fact, if she can just know my name, I'll be satisfied. If she'll just say the name Winston out loud, I might die right here on this ground. My heart was ravished. And when the bridegroom sees the bride and there's just that moment of connection where in authentic faith and in authentic worship you come before him and you make eye contact and in prayer you say thank you for all that you've done thank you for my salvation thank you for my church family and for grace and for mercy that you gave freely to me The Bible says that the bridegroom in that moment, his heart is ravished with joy and the bridegroom receives glory and honor for the acknowledgement of the blessings given to the bride. It ravishes my heart, my love, with one look of thine eyes, with one chain of thy neck. How in the world would one necklace on the neck of the bride cause the heart of the bridegroom to be excited? What would make him feel passionate about a necklace around her neck? Miranda has jewelry that she wears, different kinds. She likes something called paparazzi. Am I saying that right? I said that at eight o'clock. Paparazzi, wonderful jewelry. It's great. She loves it. I love that it's not Tiffany in New York. I'm going to tell you something. As beautiful as that other jewelry is that she wears, there's something special about us going out to dinner or getting ready for church. And I look over at her and she's wearing a ring that I purchased. There's one in particular I was able to buy in Bethlehem at our five-year anniversary. And, And when I see that ring on her hand, I get to go, oh, she's wearing it. Oh, I bought that. I worked hard and saved my money that she could have that on her hand. Oh, I bought that necklace. I bought those earrings. That's jewelry that I gave to her and she's wearing it. And when the bridegroom looks at the neck of the bride and he sees a beautiful necklace, the reason he can take such pleasure, the reason he can get so much glory is because it's a gift 
that's been given directly from him to her. And when Jesus, your bridegroom, looks at you and he sees nothing but his goodness, his righteousness, his blood, he says, oh, how it excites my heart to look at you who was once dead but who is now alive. And all I see is a reflection of the righteousness of my son Jesus given to you. One glance around your neck. I don't see what you were. I don't see the drugs. I don't see the alcohol. I don't see the sexual relationships. I don't see all of the failures. All I see is the beauty of God on my bride. And you're beautiful. That God could take a dead, rotten soul like me and give me his righteousness and call me beautiful. Thou hast ravished my heart. One look is all it takes. Go to verse 12. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. A spring shut up a fountain sealed. This is the physical expectation of the bride's condition. That she is sealed off, shut away from all other lovers. That no one else can know her the way that the bridegroom will come to know her. That there is a protective gate, a barrier that allows nothing to cross the line because that bride has been betrothed to a holy king. And this is the call on the church, the bride of Christ, that we are to be gated up, sealed off from the world that nothing can penetrate into our hearts to rob God of glory and strip us of the love that we are to have for him. That I'm sealed off, I'm shut up, and I'm waiting for my bridegroom to come. This is our call, to be clean, to be pure, and to be the bride that Jesus can take pleasure in. The bride that Jesus can look at without disappointment. And as my wonderful, wonderful Savior has been, it's my duty to protect myself as the bride of Christ. It's my duty as a pastor to protect this bride collectively as we wait for our bridegroom to come. The love of the bridegroom, the beauty of the bride. Go to verse number 16. We've heard the bridegroom talk about his lovely darling, his beautiful, captivating bride. And now it's time for the bride to speak. She answers his call. She answers everything that he has said. Look what she says. She says, Awake, O north wind, and come thou south. 
Blow upon my garden that the spices thereof may flow out. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruits. Are you ready for communion? Are you the bride prepared for the bridegroom? Are you a gate shut off or do others know who you are? Does the world have you captivated? Have you been taken back up to the top of Hermon or down to the lion's den? And you refuse to move, refuse to budge? Or can you say this morning as we come to the Lord's table, let my beloved come into his garden and be pleased? The Shulamite woman is now portraying herself as an open garden where before she was closed off and she describes herself as his garden. Are you Jesus' garden this morning? Can you come to a place where you say, Lord, be pleased in what you find in me. Be pleased in me as your bride. I'm all yours. I surrender myself. Do with me as you please and as you will. I'll live for you. I'll serve you. I'll follow you. And I'll trust you. Because you are a good and trustworthy bridegroom and king. And now as we remember our bridegroom, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the dowry that he paid to purchase his bride, Let us now come as that bride and let us prepare our hearts to dine at the table of the bridegroom. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for the love that you've given us, the freedom from sin imparted to those who believe. Lord, we thank you for the season of correction that we have experienced here. Lord, I thank you for all that you've done in our hearts. Lord, I thank you for grace and mercy that you gave me. Lord, that it was free. There was nothing I could do. There was nothing I could say. Lord, you gave me a great gift. You gave me faith. God, you opened my eyes. Holy Ghost, you convicted me. And now nothing can separate me from the love of my bridegroom. Lord, we love you today. We thank you for all that you've done to point back to the love that Jesus has for us. It's in Jesus' name we dedicate this service to you. All God's people said. Amen. As you examine your heart this morning, the Bible's very clear. You're to be in a very particular condition this morning spiritually partake of the Lord's table. If you're here today and you have unconfessed sin in your life, if you're in a place that you're away from God, do not take of the Lord's table. Let the cup and the bread pass by. But if here today you're in full faith and fellowship with God, there's nothing that needs to be corrected between you and Him. Then take this cup and take this bread remember the sacrifice of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let's pray as we open up the ceremony and begin to remember
from the Lord's table. Heavenly Father, yet again, we come back into your presence and God, we thank you for an opportunity to stop the pause and to simply remember what Jesus did for me. Lord, I thank you for the personal relationship that I enjoy with Christ. God, for the benefit, the blessing, and the bounty of what it means to be a Christian, a believer. Lord, we love you. We worship you. We magnify you. May everything that's done in this building today be pleasing in thy sight and help us to remember the brutality of the cross and the beauty of resurrection. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Ushers, excuse me, deacons, if you would, serve the church family as faithful men, full of faith, full of the Holy Ghost. As the deacons come by your way, you'll find both the bread and the cup. If you'll just take one of each, both are included in what they're giving you. Arthur, if you would sing, Oh, how he loves you and me.
as these final rows are served, I think we can all draw our attention to what we know was happening to Jesus the moments before his false arrest, the phony trial, the sentence of death that should have been given to me. We, we sometimes forget the punishment, the cross, the judgment should have come on me. Instead, Jesus took it upon himself. I thank God for our deacons who have served you, the church. If their willingness to participate in both services today. Deacons, you can be seated. Thank you for serving the church. I have the honor and the privilege now to serve the servants. Brother Bob, my honor to serve you this morning from the Lord's table. These men on this front row, they have a very specific duty, a God-given task as it pertains to our church. The requirement according to Holy Scripture is to be full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost. Men that are in charge of their homes, lead with love and who set an example for us all and every man here today praise the Lord meets that requirement and I praise the name of our Lord for your faith 2 Corinthians 4-5 says for we preach not ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants for Jesus sake Men, it's my honor to serve you as the servants. And now, to serve the pastors. These soldiers of the cross that I have the honor and privilege of serving with, who serve you, the church family, preach and teach the word of God without fear and without favor. Praise the Lord for our pastors this morning who love God. Thank you, Pastor Roy. Pastor Nathan will serve me. Thank you, sir. If you would, open up the compartment with your bread. Take the wafer your fingers. As Pastor Rory reads the scripture, I want you to hold this out and imagine the life, the ministry, and the sacrifice of Jesus and what his body accomplished on the cross. Pastor Rory, the scripture. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them saying, this is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. My body given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Let us now take the bread. Jesus, we thank you 
for every nail that you took in your hand, for the piercing of your side, the crown of thorns that was placed upon your head. Jesus, I acknowledge today that that should have been my crown of thorns. Those should have been my nails, my whipping, my beating. It should have been me on the cross. But Lord, I could not pay for my own sin. I could not pay the debt. I could not satisfy the righteousness of God. But Jesus, you did. And I thank you. And I worship you for what you accomplished on the cross of Calvary. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll take now the cup. If you would open wait for Pastor Rory to read the scripture and we'll remember the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus. Likewise also the cup after supper saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. The blood that was shed for you and for me, it was not at the house of Caiaphas where the first drops of blood were spilt was not on the cross nor at the hands of the Roman legion with the cat of nine tails in his hand. But rather, the first drops of blood that were shed for you and for me came in the garden of Gethsemane, the garden of crushing, where Jesus prayed and said, Father, not my will, but thy will be done because Winston needs a savior and I'll pay the price. And there, the weight of all the sin, the separation between God the Father and God the Son and the death and the torment that was coming. Jesus prayed and he wept so hard that drops of blood began to come out of the capillaries in his face and sweat and blood mixed on the face of the Lamb of God in the Garden of Gethsemane for you and for me. And then on the cross, every drop of precious holy blood was shed to pay the sin debt of the world. This do in remembrance of our Lord, our Savior, our King, and our Bridegroom, Jesus Christ. This do in remembrance of me. Jesus, we just want to thank you. We want to praise you. We want to lift up your name, magnify you as God and King, as Sovereign and Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the cross, for the blood that was shed, and for the victory that came on that third and glorious morning when Christ arose and changed all of redemptive history forever and forever. Now, Lord, our hearts our prayer, our desire, Lord, from a place of desperation and burden is please come again quickly. Lord, if it would be your will for today to be the day, God, our hearts are ready. We're prepared. We can't wait to see the land of Beulah, the prepared place that you've been preparing for us for over 2,000 years. And our hearts long for that city that place where no longer sin will dwell, that place where no separation will take place, where there's no cancer, no hurt, 
no disappointment. We long for that moment. And we'll wait patiently being who you've called us to be until we're relieved of our duty as your bride and as your church. We worship you in this place, in this house of prayer. And we thank you for all that you've accomplished. It's in Jesus' name, Trinity Baptist Church prayed together. Amen and amen. Stand to your feet, lift your voice and sing. Oh, how he loves you and me. I draw your attention to the cross as we sing together. Oh, he loves you. Calvary did go. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we say together, Amen.